The opinions expressed in the following video are not in their entirety endorsed by this podcast. They are instead the focus of our discussion today. This is your content warning. So this scripture comes from the night of Jesus' betrayal. He says to his apostles, he says, when I sent you out before, referencing Luke 9, uh, I sent you out without knapsack or money, but now I'm telling you to buy, uh, to take money, to sell your cloak, and to buy swords. But he gives the reason why. He says, for the scripture must be fulfilled in me, saying that he was numbered among the transgressors. His apostles say, oh, we've got two swords here. And Jesus says, that's enough. So first of all, um, my interpretation of this passage didn't change when I became a pacifist. I always interpreted it this way. And I don't think it has anything to do with self-defense. Jesus says specifically, it's about making sure a particular prophecy about him is fulfilled. And that prophecy was about him being numbered among transgressors. So when he was on trial, there were a number of trumped up charges uh, about him. They tried to paint him as someone who was rising up and naming himself king of the Jews and, and uh, revolting against Caesar. So it seems like the swords were to give an appearance of insurrection. So I do have to say this, though, um, I, I got like the biggest, biggest hit of nostalgia earlier this week because I, I sent Caleb a text and I was like, hey, man, you want to record a podcast? And I was like, wait a minute. Is this is this like 2018 again? Like what's going on? <laughs> it was it uh, it took me back, man. It took me back uh, for for anybody that may or may not be listening that did not know that uh, long, long time ago, it feels like me and Caleb did a podcast uh, in Tupelo, uh, the, the six, six, two round table. That was a, that was a blast. We had no idea what we were Absolutely. doing. Uh, still don't, but, uh, that, but that's okay. So uh, yeah, me and Caleb yeah. kind of traded places. Cause I, I used to be a guest yeah, on that podcast and now we got Caleb as a guest on that's this right. one. That's right. It's all swapping around it's, now. I know it's, it's been a blast for sure. Uh, but guys, welcome in. This is, again, this is the, I guess, 13th episode. Josh and our time this 13th episode. We've been doing this for a year now. Yep. That's that's ridiculous, man. We've been doing this for a year. But guys, thank you so much for tuning in to your content warning. This is a Bible Meets Culture podcast where we break down uh, biblical content versus modern theology. We do have uh, a really interesting topic, in my opinion, today. So I'm I'm super excited to get going about this. As always, I'm here with you. Uh, Josh was here with me. And uh, we just mentioned my, my OG co-host, Caleb Now, all the way from Air, Mississippi, has uh, graciously joined us. Uh, some tech difficulties early on, but uh, but he's in the room. He's ready, right, to go. ready to go. What's up, man? Uh, good to see you again. So guys, as we're as we kind of get into this one, this is going to be really interesting because we're going to talk about the idea of uh, I guess the violence or nonviolence, uh, if you want to frame it that way. Uh, but we're talking uh, the video you just watched or listened to talked about Luke twenty two thirty six, right? This idea of Jesus telling his disciples to uh, to sell their clothes and go and, and buy a sword. The guy that that did the video, by the way, is a pacifist. He does very uh, very good work on explaining why he's pacifist. He does a bunch of videos about. Uh, living as a as a pacifist, and so we kind of want to talk about this idea: was Jesus a pacifist, um, and and what do what are the implications rather of Jesus being a pacifist for modern day Christians? Uh, what is that? How does that impact our life? If it impacts our life at all? So was Jesus a pacifist? And obviously, guys, when you when you mention the idea of 
was Jesus a pacifist? There's a number of verses that immediately come to mind. This one probably one of the most popular, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, especially in today's society, and I think Josh can agree with that. I mean, just folks are looking for uh, what's the term? I guess just ways in to not manipulate, but just justify, that's right, justify, you know, you different go. things. And well, I think if you look at violence without a context, it's usually a negative thing. You know, n- none of us, I don't think, would would say you need to just go out and inherently be violent. Right. And, you know, if you if you read the Old Testament, especially the Minor Prophets, you know, one of the sins of Israel and, and Judah was that they were committing violence against their own people and being very oppressive. So, yeah. you know, violence in itself is not particularly a positive. But as we mentioned so often on this podcast, you have to contextualize things yeah. and you have to. You have to think about things in a particular instance. So uh, maybe we'll get the chance to do that today. Yeah. I mean, you do have to kind of uh, examine it. Actually, getting ready for this one, I did find it really funny that uh, of all the places that, uh, specifically in the Old Testament, of, of really all the, the big places that we think about that God decided, hey, I'm going to destroy. Uh, you think of places like Sodom and Gomorrah. You think of places like Nineveh. Um, all of the places that he said he was going to destroy, I think we we miss why they were destroyed. Boy, they were destroyed because they were evil, right? Mm-hmm. But if you go back and you study those places historically, one of the one of the the biggest evils that they did were the brutality and the violence that those cultures were known for, right? Like I think we get too caught up in thinking that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of all the sexual issues mm-hmm. that were going on. Um, but in actuality, they were far more violent than they were sexually immoral, which is saying something. Sure. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we're looking at, at Luke 2.36. Um, and so I'm just going to read it real quick. Luke 2.36 says, let the one who 22. has your sword. So, sorry, what did I say? You said two. It's Luke 22. 22.36. Come on, Nathan. I know, dude, I'm bad at this, man. I told Ow. you, this is, this is not, this is not something I'm good at, right? Um, I do it just because I'm, you know, anyway, we won't, we won't get into that. But anyway, Luke 22, 36, Jesus says, let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, right? This oftentimes is a proof text for Christians when they want to just, kind of like Caleb was saying, right? One of the problems that we have, that we've talked about on this podcast a number of times is we want to find scripture that'll fit our opinion. That's one of the biggest problems that we have with a lot of the guys that we look at their videos on this particular podcast, right? We look at some of that they've pulled out. Fat, oh my goodness! So, a long time ago, we talked about a guy named Brandon, Brandon Robertson, right? And everybody knows that June is kind of in Pride Month, and so he's been uh, on a on a tear lately of using Jesus calling to Lazarus to come out as uh, why he believes Jesus was helping Lazarus come out of the closet. Uh, and and not rise up from the grave, and so there's there's so Goodness. different podcasts, so much wrong with that. Uh, but it's a perfect example of forming an opinion and then finding scripture to fit your opinion, right? right. And so a lot of times, what happens is in Luke twenty two thirty six, Jesus says, "Hey, I need you to go and sell your cloak and buy a sword." At the same time, what Christians will do is they look at this as a proof text for why it's okay for Christians to use deadly force in the form of self defense. Um, now I am of the opinion that that's not what this verse is talking about whatsoever. And I think the guy in the video 
does a, a fairly good job explaining why this is not that, right? Now, we can talk about in a little bit why Christians should or shouldn't use self-defense and what, you know, if Jesus was a pacifist, what does that mean for us today? But let's talk a little bit about this verse in particular, and then we'll get to a couple of the other ones that, uh, that are other what we would consider proof text for why Christians can in some instances be for lack of a better term, violent, right? Why it's okay to be defensive or, or aggressive or, or so on and so forth. So um, ironically, what happens in, in Luke 22, this is the part I think is kind of funny um, because it actually tells us why they were supposed to go buy swords, right? I think people forget that. Uh, it says uh, in verse 37, uh, he says, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, right? So, he is telling them to sell their cloaks and buy swords specifically so that prophecy can be fulfilled in regards of uh, a prophecy from Isaiah, what chapter is it? 53. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says that he was numbered with the transgressors. So, uh, Joshua, run with that a little bit. Yeah, right, so. Oh, you're the, it, you're the language guy. I'm not super off base there, am I? No, and. and this may, you know, you and I have been looking for a long time at something we might disagree with. And True this story. may, this may be it. Yeah. Um, because excited. when Jesus tells his disciples to sell their cloak and buy swords. Right. First of all, we need to figure out what, what a sword actually was. So talk about a language thing. When we think of swords today, we usually think of like the medieval knights carrying like the big, Excalibur sword kind of thing. That's Short not what this things, right? Yeah, but that's not what this word is meaning. It, it means a little dagger that you would keep in your sleeve. Um, it, it's kind of like a concealed carry sword, right? So uh, that's that's what we're that's what we're looking at here. Are we allowed to, are we allowed to say that? Are we, if we put this on YouTube, we're going to get we're going to get shut down for saying concealed carry. Yeah, I don't know. We don't make any money off of this, anyways. That's true. They can't demonetize yeah, us. They can't demonetize <laughs> us. So. Uh, the the thing the thing that's interesting to me is that he tells them to go do this, and then they say in verse thirty eight, "We have two. He says that's enough. Right that that would not be enough to warrant being counted as a transgressor. Okay, and, and it's also not illegal in the first century Roman world to carry a sword. Many people did. Right, and so also the the passage from Isaiah says. He was counted with the transgressors, but the text right. would say that Jesus went out and bought a sword. Right. So my question then is, why would Jesus tell the disciples to do this so that he could be numbered against the transgressors? The only thing that I could think of, and I think this is this is right, would be that Jesus, and I, we've heard this preached before, that Jesus was crucified because he was marketed to the Roman government as the leader of a rebellion. Right. The The fact that they had weapons would emphasize that. Right. Okay, so, uh, but also you have to think in the first century world, a sword was only used for one purpose, and it was violence or defense or self-defense right. or whatever you want to want to use there in whatever context. And so I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that Jesus is telling them go buy swords uh, so that I can look like a violent uh, ruler over this group. Right. I think he's telling them go buy swords because I am counted with the transgressors 
and there's going to be backlash. So again, that's probably where we disagree on the interpretation of this text. Yeah, it's possible. And the only reason I say that is because, so I think where you and I disagree is, is a sense of the idea of because he was, um, my philosophy on that is, is when I'm reading it, and I'm trying to think of this in, in the context as it is, they were looking for anything, right? They were looking for something that they could trump up into a charge. So I have no problem believing that two swords within that group was enough for them to go, see, he's a criminal, mm-hmm. right? Like he's he's part of this group that's got swords. They're leading this insurrection, right? Now, logically, mm-hmm. again, I'm with you. Logically, we know that if you're going to try to overthrow the Roman government, you need more than than two swords slash daggers slash, I mean, you yeah. Know, like, and, and and here's another thing. Half um, long, whatever. Yeah. Right. Here, here's another thing. The Jewish leaders had warranted reason to crucify Jesus. So in the first century, you could only the Jew, Jews couldn't kill anybody. Only the Roman government could, right? Yeah. So that's why Jesus has to go before Pilate. But the Jews could only send someone to be crucified before Pilate for one offense, and that was the offense of blasphemy. Right, which they claimed was which they claimed because, Jesus did. Right, and this right. is not this is not the first time in scripture or in the gospels that Jesus has been sought after to be killed. Yeah. When Jesus forgives people of their sins, when he performs miracles on the Sabbath, it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to kill him. Right. So, um, or, and maybe they wanted to, but didn't have the legal authority to, maybe they didn't, they, that didn't matter to them because they were so offended by it. But, you know, it's not like it took swords to get Jesus killed. Yeah. And so, I I do think there's there's something going on in the background of this, and there's also uh, in the previous context. You know, Jesus tells uh, Peter uh, in verse thirty one, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Um, the the whole context here from verse twenty one on is this: Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be right. uh, crucified. And now, what do you do with that if you're right. a follower of Jesus? Yeah. What do you think about right, so, this really all of chapter 22 and and really, you know, the whole, like you're talking about the context here. I mean, when you really think about it, Jesus is getting all his apostles and his disciples, he's getting them ready. You're like, hey, guys, I'm fixing to be gone. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, y'all need to understand what's about to take place. And, and going along with what Josh said, um, you know, I think when we get to around verse 24 there, you know, he, he's setting up like, all right, guys. Uh, just to kind of take what we're talking about a step further, you know, because Jesus is like, look, y'all are going to be spreading the gospel and uh, throughout the world. And, you know, is it one of these things where you need a dagger for or a little sword to, for the roads when you're traveling? I mean, you know, you can, you can kind of take this a little, you know, another step further if you wanted to. But uh, but it kind of goes back to, you know, Jesus is getting these guys ready for, for him to be gone. And, you know, I, I love, you know, what all he says here and, and talking about how, Hey, you got, you got to be ready for all this. You know, Satan's going to be like, you talking about Josh. Satan's going to be ready. Uh, he's coming at you full blast. I mean, you know, it, it's something else kind of think about after Jesus is gone with a dagger, you know, just to throw a little wrench in there. And there's, there's something interesting too, in, I guess the middle towards the end of chapter 22 in, uh, in verse beginning of verse 47, when, 
Jesus is being arrested and, you know, Peter cuts off Malchus's ear. So apparently Peter had one of the swords. Um, there, there's a question in verse... At, at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah, at some point. Yeah. There's, there's a question in verse 49 that those who were around him saw what was about to happen. And they said, so the maybe they went out and bought some more swords because uh-huh. uh, you know, they said, plural, Lord, should we use our swords? Right. And then they don't get an answer. Then Peter cuts the Malchus's ear off. Right. And what's interesting about that passage to me is uh, there are some who suggest that Peter, because, you know, Peter cuts his ear off. Right. If you have a dagger and you are lunging towards someone and you only hit their ear, you're not good with a dagger. Yeah, pretty much. So there are some who have suggested that Peter's actually in this instance trying to kill Judas and he misses and winds up hitting Malchus's ear which I find a very convincing argument. You may want to read more about that if you're listening and find that interesting. So, you know, it's, uh, it, we, we talk about Peter cutting off Malchus's ear. Like, you know, that was an instance of divine violence or right. what do you, what, what's it called? Um, Justifiable. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it's, it's kind of funny. It's, yeah. Peter's not good with a sword. No, he's not. Well, I mean, he shouldn't be though, right? I mean, he's a he's a yeah, fisherman. exactly. He's a fisherman. Yeah, like, he, he, he knows how, he knows how to use a, a knife to you know like clean fish. Mm-hmm. Maybe he probably knew how to cut nets. Yeah, was, yeah, but he's not. None of these guys are trained in combat. You know, but they're they're not. If this is right, if that suggestion that he's trying to kill Judas but misses right. and winds up hitting Malchus is right, it reminds me of like the end of a police comedy movie where the bad guy's running out and they the guy finally takes the shot and he's like you shot me in the leg yeah like yeah you don't know how to use a gun yeah, yeah well he's dude i was never mind i'm not gonna go there it's like talking about peter peter was like the original stormtrooper right like he's right yeah yeah not hitting anything <laughs> yeah not not hitting anything especially especially your target um, and you also have to remember too like as much as i would like to read humor into this Right. The reason Jesus Jesus never condemns them for having swords. Right. He he says enough of this, meaning his hour has finally come. Like right. this, this is the time that he needs to do what he needs to do. Right. So, um, anyways, as we say so often on this podcast, more to the story than maybe what meets the eye. Yeah. Well, no, there's there's definitely a lot of there's definitely a lot of context that goes into this, and like I said, and, and again. This is where, and I think this is something, you know, a good point to pause. This is my mindset right now because I get to go teach, uh, I get to go teach uh, personal Bible study next week at Horizons. This is where kind of my my thing goes in. I think, let me put it this way: if you're very, uh, we don't get political on this podcast. Like we we really try to stay out of the political sphere. However, if you are biased toward one one instance or the other if you're a very pro second amendment kind of person or if you're a very uh pro gun control kind of person you have to acknowledge that where you stand in your political belief and where you stand in your human bias is going to whether you think it does or not whether you try your best to make sure it doesn't most of the time that bias is going to skew the way you view this passage Mm-hmm. And point point in case being the fact that so many of us, so many, I'm not going to say I do, um, I can only speak for me, I don't, um, but so many people you hear of and see try to use this as a proof text for why 
self-defense amongst Christians is okay. Um, I personally don't think you can use that te- this text as a proof text for self-defense, right? Um, I don't, again, as we kind of go into this, I'm not going to say that I think you can use this as 100% of a proof text that Jesus was a pacifist. We'll talk about a few others here in a second that are oftentimes very much pointed toward as far as whether or not Jesus was a pacifist. Um, but uh, I think all in all, you've got to acknowledge that this passage is what it is and says what it says for the reasoning that Jesus said, so that scripture is fulfilled, right? I mean, this is so that prophecy can be fulfilled in him, whether or not it was to look like he was an insurrectionist or whether or not, uh, you know, he, he says this, it was, he was number with the transcript for it was written about me has, has its fulfillment. Um, right. That's, that, that's what he's saying here. So I don't think you can use this as a proof text for self-defense, um, I, I would assume that, uh, Joshua, you're probably more in the camp of you can't use it for either, right? Like you can't use this as a proof text for self-defense, and it's not a great proof text if you're trying to prove that Jesus is a pacifist either. Yeah, I, I would I would say that the the text as it is here does not give us any information about whether or not we in the 21st century world can protect ourselves in in violent ways. Right. Uh, I, Man, I'm, not, I'm not entirely convinced either that, uh, that Jesus was completely against the use of violence for means of self-defense. Right. Which is, again, what this, the whole conversation kind of revolves around today is, was Jesus was a pacifist. I think you also have to understand too, and this is where, this is where we get really nuanced, Right. Um, the word pacifist was not a thing in Jesus' day, right? Like we've mm-hmm. created that word since then. Um, so the idea, like if you were to, now this is, you're going to split hairs, right? Because if you were to go back in time and you were to say, hey, Jesus, are you a, a pacifist? Um, I'm not going to say that Jesus wouldn't know what you were talking about because, you know, he's Jesus, right? I'm sure he probably wouldn't know what you were talking about. But the way we define pacifist is more of, uh, of a sense of a modern day nonviolence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe there's a better way to phrase that. Was Jesus did was Jesus more a proponent of nonviolence as opposed to violence? Um, and, and again, what does that mean? What does that mean for us as Christians? You know, what yeah. does that mean for us in, in terms of self defense? What does that mean in terms for us as far as possibly military service. I mean, like I said, you've got, there's a whole category that the U S government creates um, of people who can opt out of military service because they're called conscientious objectors, meaning Mm -hmm. that their religious beliefs do not allow them to be violent or take another human life. Um, And I think that there are things around uh, religion that can justify that. Again, I don't know that this is the passage that you ought to go to, if you're trying to make either one of those points, right? Um, there was there, a pacifist group in, in Jesus's day, um, a, a very, uh, what we would understand as pacifist. Right. They were called the Essenes. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of conversation in recent scholarship about whether or not Jesus was an Essene. Yeah. And to my knowledge, most all critical scholarship is in agreement that Jesus was not an yeah. Essene. And so you have, 
the zealots, right, which were the people who actually carried the sword in their sleeve and they would go up and kill people in political rallies. And you had the Essenes who wanted nothing to do with any of that. They didn't even live in the city limits. They lived out in the desert in these little communities. And, you know, they were kind of the hippies of the first century. So uh, Jesus didn't belong to either one of those. Right. Now, do you think that was, again, so again, this is where we start getting into speculation. Sometimes it's dangerous. Sometimes it can be a little bit fun. Do you think that's specifically because Jesus didn't believe in 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 leaning toward? This is what I think is really funny, right? Uh, especially when you start getting into the political sphere of uh, you know Jesus was the original radical, uh, and then you break down something like this. Jesus looks a lot like he doesn't want to go to one extreme or the other, right? Do you think that's because Jesus didn't want to go to one extreme or the other or because Jesus was purposely trying to separate himself because he had a new, better way that didn't fall into either one of those groups, right? So nobody could nobody could look at Jesus and, and use the argument, oh, Jesus was a zealot or Jesus was an Essene or, or whatever. Jesus was just Jesus, um, yeah. and, and he there, lived his life according to a very certain set of principles. Yeah, there, there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, saying that Jesus was the original radical, uh, people haven't read their Bibles. You know, think about like Phineas. It you, well, it depends on how you define radical. radical. Oh, it depends on how you define radical. Well, right? Look at, like, the inter- right. look at the intertestamental period with like the Maccabees. Uh, that's I mean, true. Pretty radical. Yeah. Know? Well, but again, so the way I mean, this is so I, I we did a, a series on this when you when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, right? A lot of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount was radical in the sense of what people were sacrificing, what people were willing to give up. Christians in the early day probably were viewed as pretty radical solely in the sense that a lot of people looked at them and probably thought they were a bunch of incest-fed cannibals. I mean, that's just, you know, you start walking around calling everybody brother and sister, and now you're, you're married to each other and you're eating the body of Christ, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that makes you appear radical. Like, yeah, so we talk about it all the time, right? I can I can win whatever argument you want as long as I can define the terms. Uh, well, there, there are letters from Roman officials that describe Christians as incest and cannibal. So exactly. We, we know that that was a perspective of certain Christians. Right. But, you know, with, uh, with Jesus. Radical, pretty radical view. Yeah, well, with, with Jesus, you know, it wasn't necessarily that he was or wasn't something. Uh, right. he came He came with a mission. And he instituted his kingdom, right? And that's that's the category that people should operate in. You know, it's not yeah. it's not this whole thing of well, was Jesus this or that, right? You no, know, G- Jesus is king, and he is king over his kingdom. And our job is to figure out how we fit in it. Yeah, no, I I agree with that that wholeheartedly. Um, so as we kind of kind of walk through this again, so trying to decide whether or not Jesus was a pacifist, this is this is always a big one, right? This is always a big one, whether or not you want to try to justify self-defense, you want to try to justify. It either is a justification of self-defense for Christians, right? Because Jesus told them to go and buy swords, so I have the right to defend myself. Or this sometimes is the opposite. Well, no, this all this thing proves is that Jesus was a, a, was a pacifist because even though they had swords, uh, he he tells Peter, hey, no more of this, kind of like Joshua mentioned. In Matthew, if you go on to 26, he says that all who take the sword will perish by the sword, right? And so you kind of have these two, again, contrasting viewpoints. Um, the other one that I think is really, really interesting that is uh, also rather debated, uh, if you're trying to talk about what is just a pacifist, is uh, the really, uh, the really, what, what is the... Uh, 
oh, I'm trying to think, the, the universal, uh, universally known passage that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. It says somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to him your other. Yeah, right? it's in Matthew 5. I don't remember what verse it is, but... It's yeah, Matthew so Matthew, Matthew chapter five is one of those one of those again, just kind of universally universally things. Uh, you know, you yeah, let me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to find this real quick. Uh, yeah, here you go. Matthew five thirty eight. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn with him your other. And he goes on and says, if anybody were to sue you for your tunic, let him have your cloak. And you have four. Should you go one mile, go with him two. Uh, and so you've got several people that would argue that this is another one of Jesus' teaching, Matthew 5.38, uh, or excuse me, Matthew 5.39, 30, yeah, Matthew 5.39, if anybody slaps you on your right cheek, turn with them to your other also. You've got several that would view that that is just another reason that Jesus would have been a pacifist, right? The idea of specifically treating violence with Nonviolence, right? In fact, I found an article. This is one of those things that uh, I don't know if anybody knows who Wes McAdams is. Uh, Wes McAdams is a guy that that runs a website and a podcast and writes for a, a website called Radically Christian, and it's really, really, really interesting. Um, his big argument with with this sort of stuff is it seems as though most of, if not all, of Jesus' teachings, and he references several here. All are answering violence with nonviolence, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, 44. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. If your enemy is hungry, you should feed him, right? Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Honor everyone. Do not repay evil for evil. All of these things seem to point toward treating violence with nonviolence. Um, and so I think that's one that's really interesting. And so this, and again, that all kind of boils from this particular perspective. Basically, somebody wants to fight, you don't fight back. Um, now growing up the way that I grew up, that was not my mentality. Um, I was taught from a very early age, don't ever start a fight. Uh, on occasion, I had permission to finish one though. I mean, that, that's just kind of how I, I grew up. I assume, I don't know. I assume that you guys probably probably grew up under similar circumstances. Oh, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Never so, started one. So, so where, is this, where does this leave us as far as uh, Jesus being a pacifist? Well, you know, I, I think we, you know, I think we have to be realistic. This is Jesus was realistic. I mean, Jesus understood the the dangers of what was going on in the world at the time. So, you know, if you were traveling from one city to another city especially late in the evening or anything, there's a pretty good high percentage that you're going to fall under some kind of, somebody wants to steal your money. Somebody wants to steal your goods. You know what I mean? Like, like you had to be realistic of that time and the, the cautions and hazards that were there. And I think Jesus is, is very aware of those and wants them to be aware of those. But, you know, we have to understand that also Jesus Jesus was wanting peace in a lot of different things, you know, and it wasn't, Jesus is like, all right, you know, somebody's coming at you, man. You make sure you stab them. You got to get it over with. You know what I mean? And it's more Jesus is like, all right, look, we have to be realistic that these things are going to be here, that these things are going to come our way. The people in the world, you know, Satan's good at his job. Okay. I mean, he, he's everywhere. And we have to be realistic with these things and we have to be prepared for these situations. And, right. you know, I think that kind of carries on into what we, you know, things we deal with today. You know, just like we talked about in the old podcast with, with Nathan and myself, 
you know, with, with the self-defense stuff. Like I, I have a, a permit in the state of Mississippi to legally protect myself at all times. So no, I don't want to use it and I'm going to do everything I can not to use that. But realistically, I know what's out there. I know what can hurt me, what can hurt my wife, you know, hurt those in the church. You know, I, I'm realistic with that. And, and I think in a lot of ways, Jesus is just kind of wanting to pinpoint and be like, hey, let's, let's bring peace into this world the best that we can. You know, in John 14, Jesus is like, look, I'm, I'm leaving peace with you. You know, it's up to you how you're mm-hmm. going to use that peace and all that. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think Jesus is more realistic with all the the what ifs and the what the hows that are here, you know, because I, I mean, we, we see in scripture very clearly how, how good that uh, Satan is and what he does. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's a, I haven't read uh, Wes's article. I'm sure it's great. Um, yeah. I've got, I've got several things pulled up about Wes. Uh, he's just, he's, it's, it's good stuff. He, this one in particular, the one I'm referencing is, uh, it's called what about violence in the old Testament? Mm. Um, he, he addresses the idea and, and, uh, Caleb, you kind of hit on it. Um, a lot of the violence in the old Testament, he attributes to, yeah, absolutely. God at, at points throughout the new Testament used violence as a way of, uh, 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 as a way of getting things done that he needed to get done. Right. I mean, you can, you, you can go through the old Testament and look, all throughout scripture about the violence that was encountered on God's people, right? Uh, he says, God sometimes absolutely sanctioned violence and warfare prior to the Messiah's coming. Um, he, his argument here, and this is, this is kind of what, kind of what uh, Caleb hinted at, uh, is that the prophets seem to say that that would change when the Messiah began his reign, that God's people of every nation would no longer have to go to war, but they would learn to be a people of peace which is what uh, Caleb kind of hinted at there, right? Jesus came, uh, set up that new law, left us that peace, and now we've got to figure out what to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, go ahead, Josh. I, like I said, I, no, you're good. I, I haven't read the article, um, and I don't want it to sound like I'm kind of coming down on it. But in matters of Matthew 5, again, this may be something that we disagree on, Um I, I don't think probably, probably I, not because because I haven't I haven't tipped my hand there yet. But go ahead. Well, I, I don't think that you can use this text to say Jesus was a pacifist. First of all, and I don't think you can use this text to speak against self defense. And the reason is in Matthew five thirty eight through uh, forty forty two, and also in verse forty four. You brought that text up just a minute ago about loving your enemies yeah. and praying for right, those right. who persecute you. Right. Um, we often emphasize the um the act in full so right. the the suing for your tunic like we we put the emphasis on the object if someone slaps you on the cheek right, right. or if someone sues you for your tunic or go with someone a, a mile go with them too or whatever if you put the emphasis on the verb rather than the object right the verbs are all of matters of being offended so right. just go with me on that y'all may have heard this before too um, if someone, well, let's see, let me find it. It's uh, verse 39. Whoever strikes you on the right cheek. Well, in the ancient world, no one ever used their left hand. Right. If, if I strike you on the right cheek with, with my right hand, I'm slapping you with the backside of my hand. Right. And that is not a symbol of violence. It's a symbol of disrespect. Disrespect. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, the second thing, verse 40, someone wants to sue you. You only sue people that you disrespect or to offend someone. Right. That's why it was such a big deal in first Corinthians that people were suing each other. Yeah. All right. Uh, verse 41, someone forces you to go one mile. We've probably heard this text preached before. Roman soldiers could require you to carry their uh, armor for a mile. And so you go with them too. That's very disrespectful for a Roman soldier to get just a peasant out here to be their armor bearer. Yeah. Right. So all of these are matters of offense and disrespect. How do we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, respond to people who disrespect us and offend us? We don't respond with slapping them back. We right. don't fight fire with fire. Okay. Uh, again, verse uh, 44. I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, I don't think here we're talking about people who persecute violently. I think we're talking about people who, uh, like your own family, if you become a Christian or a Christ follower right. in, the, in the first century, your Jewish family or your Gentile family, for that matter, is going to disown you. You still love them. Yeah. Right. So uh, I don't I don't like using this passage. And uh, there's a, a theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem who wrote a huge book on uh, systematic theology. It's yeah. co- modern. It's, it's common reading and uh, required reading in a lot of Bible colleges for freshman students and who, mm-hmm. who are Bible majors. Um, great book. And um, Dr. Grudem has a lot of good things to say about this text that, you know, it's it's not necessarily saying if someone is running at you with a with a gun that you have to just lay down and take it or that someone busts in your house and says, I'm going to rape your wife. Right. Oh, yeah, well, just go ahead because I'm a pacifist. Right. Right. You know, I, and I don't mean to sound so, um, you know, cavalier. Yeah. But that that is the perspective that some people take. Yeah. And and I, I again, I'm a, I'm a white guy from the South. I own guns, uh, and I, that's my presupposition. But I'm right. also coming at this, hopefully, from a biblical theology. And, yeah. and, and, and so we, we have to understand what it meant for them first before we take it out and figure out what it means for us. And no. uh, I don't think any of these have to do with uh, someone wanting to come into your house and right. steal, steal your possessions or... Uh, take right. your life. Yeah. When you think about no, I'm, I'm, defining Jesus as a pacifist, you know, you know, if you're a pacifist, you want zero violence, right? Like you don't want nothing, like no, right. no ill temper, like no anger, like nothing, you know, exposed or anything. Well, well, what about in John chapter two when Jesus cleanses the temple? Like Jesus was hot. I knew that one was going to come up. I knew that one in my notes too. You know what I'm like? He was mad. <laughs> Yeah, that was a public, you know, him coming in and being like, uh, okay, you know. Yeah. So, you know. I've always wondered because I don't know if Jesus cleansed the temple twice. John 2 puts it at the beginning and Matthew Mark Luke at the end. Right. Right. I don't know if that, if John styles it differently for a different reason, but uh, if it happened twice, just think what happened when he came back three years later. Like how those people, they were like, oh, here he comes again. (laughs) Right. Oh, that'd be interesting. No, I, I had the, I had that one written down, Caleb, too, because that's another one of those. Uh, that's another one of those used for the opposite side. So, oh, yeah. well, first off, Matthew chapter five. Um, we only found one thing that we would disagree on today, Joshua, because this is so. This is 
this is the way I view this because I'm with you. I don't think you can use this as a as an excuse for uh, self defense or or pacifism either one. And the reason I say that is because I'm kind of on the same lines as you. All those things. This this is the way that I've always always interpreted this, and I've done so incorrectly. You know, correct me. Um, but each of those things, kind of like you talked about, you you framed it as disrespect. I've always viewed that and read that as these are all three things that somebody had the ability to exercise power over you, right? Like somebody slapping you, they're mm. exercising their power over you. The, mm. the Roman the Roman guard, right? He's exercising his legal power mm-hmm. over you. And so when Jesus is saying, hey, this is how you retaliate, it's not a well, you should be a pacifist. It's a, you have to understand you don't have that kind of power over me, right? Like that's not, that, that's not something that is, uh, is something that it, in modern economy, that's, you're not doing what you think you're doing to me. I think it's Jesus' mm-hmm. kind of response to this, right? Like you want to slap me on the cheek, I'm going to turn my other one, not because I'm a pacifist, but because I want to prove to you that the power you think you have over me is not actually power that you have over me. I'm allowing this sort of stuff to, to happen. And whether or not that, that falls into, that falls probably more into like a, a monk peace view than it does necessarily mm. pacifism. Um, but the whole, you know, I'm going to sue you. I want to exercise my power over you and sue you. Well, you don't have power over me. I'm going to give you this, right? I'm going to give you this extra mile. You don't have this power over me that you think you have. And and especially in Jesus context, nobody had power over Jesus. Everything he did, he submitted to willingly. Right. And so it makes perfect sense. Jesus go, hey, look, you have no power over me. I'm going to let you hit my other cheek. You have no power over me. I'm going to give you my cloak as well. You have no power over me, but I'm going to let you crucify me anyway because it's my purpose. Um, didn't necessarily like that. Right. I mean, we know that Jesus prayed for a less violent ending. Uh, to his story, um, or less violent, almost ending. I don't want to say that like his death was the ending, right? Because it wasn't. Um, but I'm I'm with you in, in in that sense, Joshua. Like I I get where you're coming from, and I, I kind of agree. This is this is one of those things that uh, I think I think it's more of a power authority type thing, and how you know we're saying, look, my authority and my power is 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 through Jesus, and, and that's that. Now. When it comes to cleansing the temple, this is the part I think is really funny, because when it comes to cleansing the temple, that's often used as a reason as to why sometimes righteous anger is a good thing, right? Like mm-hmm. why I can justifiable force in instances. This is why, you know, they're like, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus was always a pacifist. You're like, well, Jesus also ran in and, and uh, you know, cleansed the temple. And there's always two common remarks to that, right? And again, it depends on where your bias is, right? You're either using that as an argument for, or you nuance it a little bit. And you go, well, Jesus went and he fashioned a whip and he drove out all the, the animals, right? Like he drove everything out of the temple. And so naturally, that means all the people were going to follow, you know, their goods and animals or whatever. And you've got the argument that Jesus never actually laid a finger on anybody. Well, Pacifism would dis pa- pacifism would look down on Jesus forming whip and driving animals and flipping tables and any of that stuff anyway. Where I think we have to be careful, because I agree that Christians today should have and do have the responsibility to be righteously angry towards some things. Right? There are lifestyles, there are sins, there are things that we are not to tolerate as Christians based on the principles and the standards that Jesus set. Where I think we have to be careful 
is using that as a justification for why we are allowed to do something because, and this is where I see this, because if we're going to use that, all of a sudden we're giving ourselves the same authority that Jesus had uh, in a particular instance. And I think oftentimes I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that there are things that, that Christians should not be righteously angry about. However, I think we need to be very, very, very careful when we start trying to attribute the uh, the righteousness or the authority that Jesus had on ourselves, right? Um, in a sense of, I think sometimes we get really carried away with that, right? Like Jesus flipped tables, therefore I am justified to react however I want to react when I see something bad going on. Uh, and I don't think that's a correct justification or use of that passage. Um, and so I think you got to be really careful when you start when we start wading into the waters of, well, Jesus did this so I can, what, like, you know, I, I don't think that Christians are served well if uh, they walk into uh, the local liquor store and just start knocking over shelves going, this is evil, uh, and then they walk out. All right, that's going to get you arrested. I, I mean, it is what it is. So, uh, and you could, I mean, fill in the blank. With with whatever with, with whatever you want there, uh, you know, and so I, like I said, that's that that's my view. Doesn't have to be yours, uh, and I could be I could be way off base in that. Um, I'm I'm open to learning. So I don't I don't think you're off base. Um, John is such an interesting author because he doesn't write chronologically, right? Which upsets me because I like to read chronologically. But he, he writes according to <laughs> themes, right? So yeah. In, in chapter one, verse fourteen, like the theme verse for John, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Okay, well, the word you guys know this. the The word for um, he he dwelt among us. The word dwelt is literally the word tabernacle, right? Uh, and we beheld His glory. It's the same word that's used in Exodus at the end when God's glory fills the temple, and the same word that's used in Ezekiel chapter ten when God's glory leaves the temple. So, what has John said in John one fourteen? Here is, you know, we, we often look at Jesus as the high priest and our sacrifice and all that. He is also the temple. Jesus is the true temple. And then what you find in uh, John 2 is Jesus, the real temple, cleanses, or I don't even know that cleanses is the right word to use. It's what we often use, but he, right. he sets himself up as the real temple and lowers or rebukes the current temple, right? Well, uh, I, th I think we do something similar today because the body of Christ is now the temple, right? The church, okay? First Corinthians 3, 16, 6, 19, we're the temple. We rebuke anything in the world that claims to be, quote unquote, the temple or to be mm -hmm. God in our world. And, uh, you know, we, we do that a lot in our own sermons where we say, you know, well, money and fame and fortune and, you know, celebrities and Instagram and all that. Like those are those are our idols. Those are our gods. But we, we rebuke that because we have God dwelling in our midst. Right. So uh, I, I am with you that I don't think this is a text that can show us anything about pacifism, self-defense or whatever. It is an instance where Jesus acted out of, call it righteous indignation, call it wrath, right. whatever you want to say, 
But I would also encourage people to go to the Gospel of Mark and just constantly, like, I don't necessarily have one particular text in mind, but Mark, you know, we've talked on the podcast before, Nathan, about uh, Smiley Jesus. Smiley right? Jesus. Yeah, Mark gives yeah, angry Jesus. Smiley. Dude, I miss me. Dude, Mark is, all right, so let's just sidebar. Mark is statistically proven, it is the factual opinion of mine that Mark is the best gospel. Right. It's the only one that you could make a movie out of and it would be interesting um, because it's just it's just constant yeah. action all the way through. But, yeah, I miss I miss me some smiley Jesus, Joshua. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark is angry, Jesus. So <laughs> if you if you do a comparison, which I don't know that anyone would, but if you do a comparison between Mark and Matthew, they yeah. follow pretty much the same outline. Matthew kind of gives a little more information than Mark does in some instances. And Mark gives more information than Matthew does in others. But where Mark will say. And Jesus was angry and said, right. Matthew will often say, and Jesus had compassion and said, right. And so kind of, kind of different, you know, right. Uh, I think, I think you can show compassion out of anger. Right. So I don't think, I don't see that necessarily as a, uh, as a contradiction, but it yeah. is interesting how Jesus is portrayed in some instances yeah. and others. Well, I mean, yes. And a lot of that goes back to, we don't have a lot of time for that, but a lot of that goes back to, you know, like who's writing it, who is it being written sure. for? Sure. You know, there's there's so so much so much nuance that goes into that that just when so in like uh, in like another two years when Joshua becomes a professor, just sign up to take all of his classes. He'll teach <laughs> you all of that stuff. Yeah. After he finishes his PhD, which you're never supposed to ask him when, but after he finishes his PhD, uh, and he ends up becoming some professor at some you know some I'm, big university, I'm sure people he, find it just as interesting as I do. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so that, so that brings to a really good point. Um, and and the point, the point I mean is we've kind of gone through the big ones, right. Of which is a pacifist. Was this for self-defense? And it seems though that every single one of them we've gone, you know, if you look at this in like context, it doesn't really make sense to use this to argue for pacifism or for self-defense. So the next logical step is, all right, so where do you land then? Does the Bible actually say anything about being a pacifist or about the willingness to self-defense? And if it does, where do you fall in sense of the idea of protecting those who it is your responsibility to protect? Or how do we protect those that it is our responsibility to protect or help or defend or, or whatever the case may be? Um, again, big, big, deep questions. We will not give uh you know, based on just time, we, we will not be able to give you uh, perfect, suitable answers for all of your questions. That's not what we're here for. Um, but uh, what do you, what do you guys think of that? Yeah, there's, there's a, an interesting text in first Timothy, first uh, Timothy five and verse eight says, but if someone does not provide for his own, especially his own family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right. We often look at that in the context of financial provision. Right. Working. What does it mean to provide for your family? Um, I, I think, this is just my opinion, I think protection is also included in that. Yeah. I think especially for the three of us as men who are heads of our household, we have an, a God-given obligation to protect our families. And well, I, I often use this example. It's a very extreme example. I pray God it doesn't happen. But right. if someone busts in my house 
and tries to uh, harm me or my wife in any way, uh, we will have a come to Jesus meeting and I will arrange it and someone will repent. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I think I have biblical grounds to do that. Yeah, I agree. And it, I think it's, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier and just, you know, we, we have to be understanding and, you know, e- evil's there. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's, uh, again, the devil's good at his job and, you know, he knows what, what, what struggles and all that we're going to, you know, we ha- we have to be real that the evils and the demons are there and they're going to come about, they're going to come in different shapes and sizes. But, you know, as we've talked about the kind of different avenues of Jesus today and, and just kind of how, you know, Jesus wants the peace, uh, but, but he's realistic that, that, that the bad is there and we have to be ready for it. We have to be understanding that it is realistic and it's there. You know, I think about, you know, kind of going back to Matthew chapter five, you a little later in, in that, or um, Jesus is talking about in verse 41 there, you know, someone forces you to go a mile, go with them too, ask you to turn away. Who wants to borrow, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But, you know, Jesus is like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You know, he goes in and says, look, that bad is right in front of you all the time. Like, you know, but it's up to us to show peace, to go mile two instead of just a Mm-hmm. And, right. And, and on that point, Caleb, I think too, we need to, we may have should have done this at the beginning, but I think there's a distinction between being persecuted for your faith and your perspective, you know, your theology or whatever. Um, and, and someone trying to malevolently cause you harm. And so, you know, you, you well, see, Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Not, uh, I was going to say, you, you see in the in the first century and beyond, the people being persecuted for their faith, what do they, they don't fight back, you know, they they deal with it. James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials and things right. like that. Um, so there's, there's the persecution of your faith, which we're not to retaliate against. Yeah. I, I don't think that is synonymous with someone wanting to cause you physical harm yeah. out of trying to do damage to your own self or to your property. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that, you kind of go back to the, that passage that we kept reading. I think a lot of that is just simply how we review it, right? Um, you know, the whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing. We're like, well, this is Jesus teaching about retaliation. And when you go back and you look at it, the law that he's referring to is not even a law of retaliation. It's a law of limitation. Yeah. Um, I think we missed that. I think it's one of those things that, you know, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that was because if you lost your eye, you got an eye. And if you lost your tooth, you got a tooth. If you lost a hand, you got a hand. It wasn't one of those things that if you lost a hand, you got to take a dude's arm. You know, it, it, it's a it's a passage of, of limitation, not necessarily retaliation. I think what Jesus is getting at there is, and this is the other part too, if you're going on that kind of train of thought, I have heard it presented this way. Now, whether or not I agree, I'm not 100% sure, but I've heard it presented that uh, Jesus is also teaching a thing uh, here of limitation. If somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. Doesn't mean that if somebody slaps you, you open up your chest, let them stab you, and, you know, somebody asks for your, you know, it doesn't say that you've got to give them all your clothes, it's giving your clothes. It doesn't say you have to go 100 miles, it says go with them two. Um, so I've heard it. Uh, explained to me as Jesus's limitation of retaliation, so to speak. 
Um, yeah, and, and that's that's true of the uh, the Exodus pass, passage, Exodus right. twenty one, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, right. it's uh, often been says like it's only an eye right. for an eye, yeah. or it's right. only a tooth for a that's tooth. So, but uh, but no, I, I, I'm with you, Joshua, in the sense of I, I do think that there is a, a great deal of difference between um, uh, persecution and 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 violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and again, now here's here is what I, I think we miss, and here's where I think these conversations ultimately divulge to, which I, I think is unfortunate. So I think we're constantly arguing the is a Christian allowed to do this, and we forget. That as a Christian, most of us would say, and there's a whole nother, we could go a whole nother hour about the quote unquote practical arguments um, of, of, you know, self-defense and that sort of stuff. But as Christians, we are to, I don't think there's any question about, we should do our absolute best to seek peace and, and nonviolent sure. closure amongst conflict, mm-hmm. period. I don't think that you can look through Scripture and find where it is against the law or against the will of God or against the teachings of Jesus. If that is what you're trying to do, I don't think there's a passage where you can point at and definitively say that, yes, you should absolutely seek nonviolent closure to conflict. But in the instances where nonviolent closure is not attainable in instances such as, you know, self-defense, in instances such as immediate grave danger to yourself, your family, those that you are uh, God-given responsibility to protect, that you cannot intervene, Mm -hmm. um, even if that means an unfortunate, possibly violent end. Um, I don't, I cannot find in scripture where that conclusion is at bare minimum black and white, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, at, at, you know, worse, you know, going on further than that, I cannot find in scripture where I believe that that is commanded, right? Like at one end, you've got commanded at the very minimum, you cannot call it black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot call it commanded. You cannot call it black and white. Um, like I said, there's there's so much nuance that goes into that. And again, there's a lot of people that would would disagree with that. Um, and well, I think we articulated that really well. I think that's well, a really good way. To it. It. I appreciate. It. I think I think that there are absolutely. Uh, I think there are absolutely people that would disagree with me. Um, sure. It was unfortunate. I'll give him a shout out. It was it was a little bit unfortunate. I had, I reached out to a buddy of mine named Carter. Um, who, uh, who, who, who would disagree with me on this particular, uh, on this particular topic. And so, um, I wish he could have gotten to be on, but schedules are what they are. And so uh, we'll get him on eventually for something, but, uh, but I, I do think that that's the case. Uh, and, and that's kind of where I stand now, if you want to run with that and you want to talk about all the practical objectives that people give, you know, well, if, if Christians really, really, I mean, honestly, you know, Joshua, you mentioned it. If we honestly, legitimately, do hope that we never ever have to be in a situation where we're forced to end another human being's life, then does that not mean we have the responsibility to not carry a concealed weapon, not sign up for military service, not do whatever? Um, those are what I refer to as practical objectives, right? You know, those are one of those things that like, you know, well, I really, really, really hope that I never have to be in that situation. Okay. 
Well, if that's what you really, really, really hope, then don't do it. Like that's, that's, I think it's oversimplified, but that's the objective, right? That's mm-hmm. the practical objective of if you really, really, really hope that you're never in a situation where you've got to pull a gun on another individual, don't have a gun. Uh, and that, that's, that's the, that's the other train of thought, right? That's the, that's the other practical objective. Yeah. That when, when I, I have a concealed carry license, which in Tennessee now it's constitutional carry. So you don't need a concealed carry right. license. But at the time that I got mine, Right. I, I had to go to a class and you had to show proficiency and using a firearm and all those things. And uh, the, the instructor who was a sheriff's deputy told us, he said, it, it costs, I don't know, it costs like 80 bucks for the license and you had to pay right. background check and what, what all, all this. I don't know how, what it costs total, but let's just say for rough figures is a hundred bucks. Um, right. He said, I hope this is the biggest waste of a hundred bucks you ever spend. And you know what? I, I, I haven't, I haven't used my invested hundred bucks yet and I pray that I never have to. And I see the argument that says, you know, somebody may say, well, um, if you don't want to, if you don't want that, then don't get it. Right. The emphasis though is not on whether or not I have a desire to use it because I'm not going to use it out of my own. Right. It is always going to be a response and, you know, I, I would even very carefully bring in the analogy of God and his wrath. God's yeah. wrath is always a response to something. God never does anything just out of sheer desire to do it. You know, yeah. his wrath is a response. And so uh, even though I don't want to use it, I know that there may be a situation where I do need to use it. Right. And, and so uh, in, in that case, um, it's, it's not a matter of my desire to go out and commit murder. It's, right. uh, it's a difference of me, you know, protecting myself and my family. Right. Yeah. And like I said, and there, again, this is one of those things that uh, in my personal opinion, I don't know that, uh, in fact, I, let me say, I do know, I don't, I, I do know that there will never be a unanimous consensus on this one way or the other mm-hmm. as far as what, and again, Sometimes I do find it slightly unfortunate that we have to approach topics from this. Well, can Christians do this or can Christians do that? And we spend less time emphasizing, uh, well, you know, how, what what should we be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but and it, also is, it also is part of the life that we've we've inherited, right? To, I mean, to bring us kind of full circle. Um, in the minor prophets, for example, and the major prophets, for that matter, there's always the end result that is heaven and earth together, all nations come together in peace, evil is done away with, and we're not there yet. Right. It's going to be realized when the Lord returns, but we're not there yet. And so we have to deal with evil as it exists. Um, yeah. you know, I want to live in a world where I don't have to carry a gun. Yeah. That's not the reality, in my opinion of our yeah. current state of affairs. Well, you know, first no. Peter five verse eight, you know, talks about how the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, you know, and that's yeah, fill in the blank with what he's going to show up as and what, as we're talking mm-hmm. today, what, what evil is going to pop up? What, you know, it's unlimited. What, I mean, like Josh was saying, I mean, it's, it's there, you know, it's, 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 we just got to be realistic with it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what it boils down to. I think it boils down to, and again, and so here's here, here's my final thoughts on the topic as we kind of wrap this up. My personal opinion is as such that you can be 
a great, fully fulfilled, live a great, fully fulfilled Christian life, regardless of which one of these beliefs you hold. Um, I do not believe that whether whether or not you decide that you want to adopt a life of, of, of being a pacifist or whether or not you want to adopt a life of being somebody who lives, um, as, as Kayla would put it, facing the reality of the world uh, and, and taking measures to protect yourself, I do not feel like either one of those things makes you a better or worse Christian. Uh, I think ultimately the way you treat the other side of this argument makes you a better or worse Christian than which side you fall on to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's my that's my final opinion uh, on the matter, and and I reached that final opinion because as we've talked about, you can look all through Scripture, and and based on the teachings and the life that Jesus lived, uh, and, and all we have recorded for us, I don't think you can reach a definitive answer one way or the other. Um, and again, there are several people who would disagree with me on that, and that's fine. We can have those conversations. I welcome them actually. Uh, but, uh, but that's, that, that's my, my final sentiment for the, for the, for the, uh, day. Yep. 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 You guys got anything else? As we, <laughs> you guys got anything else as we close up? Man, it's, it's a good topic, man. It's, uh, and it's something that, uh, of course, you know, it's something that's going around. I mean, something that's been talked about for a while and especially with today's society and, you know, it's something that. Yeah. Again, I mean, we just we just have to face it all around us in every avenue, and, and I'm glad I'm glad we talked about it. It's awesome to kind of. Do I mean, it's yeah, it's one of those topics that won't go away in our lifetime. Um, I say that it won't go away in our lifetime, assuming that uh, we last longer than Jesus' return. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't last that long, if Jesus comes back before the end of our lifetime, then uh, we won't have to have this conversation again. So good that'll point. be that'll be Very good. good point. Yeah, um, it's this is a topic that we go over in my Christian ethics class. Um, we spent about a week on it, and there are some in that class who are very much like, "I own a cannon, and there's nothing you can do to tell me I can't." <laughs> and then there are others that say, um, "I carry a daisy in my pocket," you know, and yeah. that's that's all you got. So, well, it's like le- legally, there actually is some stuff I can do to prevent you from owning a cannon. Like that takes some very special permitting. Hey, we um, we but... sold we sold a, a, a Civil War cannon at an auction last summer. That's awesome. Belonged to Hank Williams Sci- Jr. Yeah. Sci- sidebar, uh, of course it did. Golly, oh, yep, it did. Uh, sidebar, Joshua is an auctioneer. So this is not like when he said he sold a cannon. This is not like Joshua owned a cannon and just sold it to some dude. Right. Outside. Right. It did not belong to me. Right. So uh, but, but, that uh, belonged to Hank Williams Jr. does not to, shock to round, me. To round us out a little bit, it's to teaching that class is interesting because the, the very people who will argue that you shouldn't own a gun or whatever right. are also the very people who demand that Faulkner have campus security. So... Yeah, that's they're, that's kind of dabbling in the that's kind of dabbling in the in the political sphere. And we again, again, this is one of those topics that I love to talk about, and I'm glad that we talked about it on this podcast. I think it needs to be talked about, but sure. it's very, very difficult to approach a topic like this from a from an externally political because it's such a politically charged topic, especially right now in today's society. It's so hard to look at something like this and go, guys, hey, let's try to remove politics 
as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I did not get into the, and if you want to, you can reach out to myself or Joshua or Caleb, any of us, we'll be happy to talk to you about this, but I did not mention, um, some of the, uh, the, the, uh, it, is there a double standard in, in being pro-life and willing to take life at the same time in the sense of self-defense and, the most common, I'll just go ahead and give you guys this a very, very brief thing, right? The most common argument that is made about that is one is innocent and one is not. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of arguments and a lot of nuance around, uh, you know, the, the overly simplified way is can I be can I be pro-life and pro-death penalty at the same time? Um, can I can I be pro-life and willing to take somebody else's uh, even if it's in, a, in an event of self-defense? So didn't get into that. Probably shouldn't get into that, especially if we didn't want to be here for another I'm hour. Say that's uh, a lot of rabbits but, on that. Dude, there's there's so much that goes into it, and it's it's one of those things that uh, that I think Christians have to be willing to have these conversations, yeah. though, uh, sure. with with Christians and not Christians. Yeah, be open minded, so, you know, amongst all yeah, of for sure. Here. For sure. Uh, and again, the thing that I said at the very, very, very beginning of this is a thing I think we miss the most is you've got to respect where your biases are. Um, you know, Joshua said it. Uh, we're sexist because we're white men who consider ourselves the heads of our household. Uh, and therefore, we, we don't have much of value, much value in our opinions. However, Again, recognize where your biases are. Uh, all three of us uh, grew up not just in the South, but grew up in, I would dare say, some pretty gun-loving families. Um, and so guns are, are not a big deal to us uh, holding. I, I love, I tell people all the time, I love the beauty of firearms um, in the sense of just the sheer mechanics that go into to creating and making something that functions as, as flawlessly as it does uh, and, and what it has the ability to do, um, and respect the, uh, that every time, you know, respect, the, respect the firearm in the sense that every time you pull the trigger, a life can be drastically altered. Absolutely. Whether, whether or not you're in a dire situation or you just happen to be out in your backyard shooting at 10 cans. Um, there, there's so much that goes into that, that, uh, we don't have time to say so, but anyway. Guys, thank you so much for being on. Joshua, as always, it's a pleasure. Caleb, I it's just nostalgia all day long, man. man. Getting, to, getting to sit with you again and and talk about random stuff. It's you know, if we talked if we stinking summer, if we spent the next five minutes talking about college football, it'd be just like all the time. <laughs> yeah, five minutes will turn into two yeah. hours very yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah, for real. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all of you that support us out there and, and come and talk to us. Send us videos, send us topics. What are some things that you want us to talk about? We are more than happy to address it. We post these the first of every single month. As always, if you're in West Tennessee, come see me at the Troy Church of Christ. If you're over in uh, Rutherford County, Joshua would love to see you at Salem Creek Church of Christ over Murfreesboro. And if you have to leave the great state of Tennessee and you venture your way down to Mississippi, especially in the Amory area, the Christian Chapel Church of Christ, Caleb is holding down the fort over in, in that area. You know, we can't all be lucky enough to live in Tennessee. I live in Mississippi. I, you know, it's pretty good. I'll give you That's that. Awesome. Outside of one, outside of like one or two, maybe, maybe one or two particular towns that, you know, Mississippi's pretty, pretty cool state to live in, but uh, But anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. uh, And as always, we'll see you next time.